another episode of the VD Clinic with you as always. I'm Vanessa and here with me as always <laughs> is Darren. Hi, I am Darren and I would like to say I am looking forward to this episode. Yes. Yes, it's it's a very hairy episode. Um, in honor of Halloween, we're going uh, going to the dogs, as it were. <laughs> but but the material has some teeth. Yes. Oh, bad puns, bad puns. <laughs> but that actually goes right along with our movie, mm-hmm. which is. Joe Dante's The Howling from 1981, and then the Stephen King short novel Cycle of the Werewolf from 1983. Yeah, so you're right on uh, the money with the the bad puns (laughs) there, but... They both love the bad puns. And I don't know if you... uh... Have ever listened to the Joe Dante director's commentary of The Howling? Oh no, I haven't. Uh, there, I've only listened to one on the Blu-ray that I have, and mm-hmm. it's um, it's Joe Dante, uh, 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 D. Wallace. Okay. What's, what's his name? Um, Christopher Stone. Yeah. And uh, Robert Picardo all sitting in a room yeah. together watching the movie and talking. And there are a couple times where Dante is like, oh, yeah, that was that was cheap <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but they I mean, they had a blast revisiting it and telling stories about the thing. Yeah. But yeah, lots of puns, lots of. What, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a point in the movie where somebody's got Ginsburg's howl on their desk, and that was that seemed to be the one that he's like, I had no reason to do that, and I just did it, yeah. Well, no, there's and there's another scene which I was gonna bring this up, but which I guess we could bring that up in a minute, but um, anyway, how are you doing before we get into the movie? I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right, I'm trying to be in the mood that's you know it's fall it's rainy it's kind of cold but not too cold it's a good time to talk about the howling how about yourself i am well i've just been busy um got my mother moved to new york and getting her adjusted with different things and yeah just that's that takes up a bit of time, which that's fine. <laughs> I love my mom, but <laughs> you know, it's uh, even though I wasn't the one who actually physically moved my own stuff, that you know, it was a lot of work. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot of logistics that come involved, especially with that distance. You know, I, well, I fortunately, and... the last time that I moved, I mm-hmm. moved about five blocks. Yeah. No, it's it's a big I I helped her with a lot of the logistics of it and that that is where sometimes you don't realize exactly how much work it is until after it's done. Then you're all of a sudden like, oh wow, <laughs> that was that was more than actually physically moving the boxes in a way. <laughs> I offered my friends a twelve pack and a pizza for all of this work. Yeah. Or I don't know what the rate is. I haven't had a friend help me move in a couple moves. Yeah, exactly. But there's also the point where you're like, no, I'm I'm just going to say, no, it's worth it to hire movers. (laughs) Did they break anything? No, no. They were actually great. Oh, that's pretty sweet. I feel like every time I've hired a mover, they've broken one thing. But it was always something that was kind of a bummer but could always generally yeah. be fixed. I feel like one time they broke a stained glass thing that my dad had made and yeah. it, it would have been, uh, I mean, really, I just kind of hung on to it. And then one time he was looking at it. It wasn't destroyed, but he noticed that it was broken. He was like, well, let me take that back to my house. I'll fix it. There we right. Go. Uh, only had one yeah. thing disappear. Some glass shelves disappeared, and that sucked because glass shelves are ex- surprisingly expensive. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that's pretty fucking boring. I'm sorry. Uh, if you have to edit but that as, out, that's fine. But as part of my mom's move, that meant that I got another bookshelf, so... <laughs> hey! Hey! <laughs> So so the book yeah. giveaways might slow down a little bit over here at the VD clinic? Well, they they might. They'll still be there, but um, I at least will be able to accommodate my books a little bit better. Yeah, at least for a while. <laughs> I'm sure there will still be a point where, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I'm overflowing with books. <laughs> bookshelves, empty bookshelves kind of you know, don't stay empty for long. Right. Especially since these are like the old, they're called a uh, long, uh, whatever bookshelves where it has glass doors that close over each of the shelves. Oh. They lift up and slide back. Yeah. So you can, you can keep your haunted dolls in there and stuff. Something like that. No haunted dolls for no me. Dolls. Thank you. But Send them all to Bo Ransdell, care of Legion Podcasts. I know. I know. That's <laughs> up his alley. I will. I will pass on that one. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know if I could live. Dolls are just creepy to begin with. Like <laughs> maybe that's why I wasn't into them as a kid. <laughs> something about them i don't know (laughs) but i don't know um we've got a werewolf themed episode what how 
how do you feel about werewolves? I don't know. I'm not necessarily the biggest werewolf fan, even though, I mean, I'll say it now. I like these things that we're kind of covering this episode. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I'm not a fan of werewolves, but I'm not a werewolf aficionado. I don't, I don't know the ins yeah. and outs of it all, but... And, you know, like when I was a kid, uh, when my friends and I would play Monster Squad, I was usually the gill man. But that was because my friend who was the the dominant friend, you know, yeah. <laughs> he always had to be yeah. the werewolf. And then, you know, later on, right. thinking about it, there's, you know, there's those elaborate, important conversations and things you have where it's, you know, would I rather be a vampire or a werewolf? I would usually pick werewolf because right. werewolves are still alive. Yeah. And yeah, I would I would just do the lock me up every once in a while sort of thing. Um, and, th- and they have. Well, they don't really. I mean, well, cause there's just the one in the in the story, but I feel like there's a couple different werewolf archetypes in the howling. Right. And that was cool. I hadn't seen it forever. Yeah, same with me. Same with me. That's absolutely true. And it also kind of is a little different with the werewolf um, kind of mythos. Um, You don't really see a lot of representations of female vamp- uh, werewolves for one. No. You really don't see that a lot. Like this and ginger snaps are like the really the only things I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, uh the one story in Trick or Treat. Those are all ladies. Oh that that's true. You're right in trick or treat, and in mostly. and in what we do in the shadows, those werewolves. You know they do have some female werewolves. They do in the in the movie and the show, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Yeah, definitely in the show, which I've seen more recently than the movie. Yeah. But I'm sure exactly. I'll see, I'll see the movie before the month is out. Yeah, but but still, like. Those are, those, you really don't have that in what, I mean, and again, I, maybe because I'm not as into werewolves, there might be more out there, and I just haven't seen those movies. Have you seen Dog Or TV shows? No, I have not. Oh, you have not? Have you heard of Dog Soldiers? Yes, I have. It's on my... It's on my to-watch list. Yeah, I guess one of the cuts, I think the American, like the Shout Factory cut, is kind of bluish for some reason from what I heard. It's one of those right. that I I have, but it's still in the wrapper. And then I heard that, you know, the, the UK cut was better looking, and now I'm torn. Um... But yeah, I, w- I would recommend Dog Soldiers. Uh, have you seen any of the Underworld movies? Yes. <laughs> um, 
trying to think what else teen wolf <laughs> I don't, yeah not, uh, i guess they talk about the mother but i don't think they really say if the mother but it's implied that it's much more that it's the male like carried in the male side of the family yeah that's how i feel about that movie um but yeah that's all that's all i can really think of aside from um howling two I know well, there's about exactly. seven of them, but I've I've seen Howling too recently. Yeah, I know. Me too. And I think what only is it? because it has Christopher Lee in it. Of course, and it's on uh, streaming right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think the fourth or the fifth one is supposed to be a more uh, direct representation of the book. I and I was going to ask you if you had read the book. I had not read the book, but in that uh, commentary track that I was talking about that I mm -hmm. saw a, a watch or two ago of the movie. Hey, Zora. Um, Picardo, I think it was Robert P Picardo or it was Joe Dante said mm -hmm. that they had strayed enough from the story that in the fourth or fifth one, they just did the story. <laughs> right. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've, I I put it in my queue, and I still haven't seen it, because uh, I don't know when. I Because I'll probably want to watch the ones in between, one right. or two, and that one. And I'm, yeah, like like we're saying, we, we dig werewolves, or, you know, I'll just speak for myself, because you can speak for you. I dig werewolves, but it's not, I don't know if I have a favorite monster like that, you know? Yeah. Nothing against, yeah, nothing against werewolves. Love, love myself a werewolf. It's probably easier to root for a werewolf than a vamp. Well, I don't know. Anyway. See, yeah, I root for the vampire in that situation. It's just, it's a, that's just how it is. Yeah, well, you know, you are you, but... more, more dark. You're darker than I am. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you can't have a generally optimistic vampire, can you? Well, you could. You could. I probably like more vampire movies. Mm -hmm. uh, I For some reason, possibly because it was on sale streaming, but uh, my best friend is a vampire. From the 80s. I don't know if you remember that movie. Oh, yeah. I, I don't remember it very well, but I have seen it. Yeah. And, yeah. Once Bitten. Not a, They're not all comedies. I mean. Yes. Uh, but what yes. was that one? Thirst. I saw that one for the first time. You mean the one from the 70s? The one from the 70s? Uh, No, the one from the. Or the Japanese the, one. Ja the, yeah, that one. Yeah, they're very different. The original, the, the one from the seventies is is an Australian one. Uh, it's yeah. It's I think it's who is it that's in it? Henry Silva, I think, is in it. <laughs> oh really? Yeah, and I think is it Barbara Steele maybe. Yeah, a few people that you'd recognize, but 
I remember seeing that as a kid and that kind of scarred me for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> people unwittingly drinking blood from milk cartons, you know. <laughs> Henry Silva is Dr. Goss or Gauss in yeah. 1979. Yeah, 79. One of those that they aired on TV and I caught while I was sitting up with my dad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. When did you first see The Howling? The Howling, I first saw... When did I first see this? I probably didn't see this until close to 1990. When I was, like, when I was a senior in high school. Around that time period. It was sometime in the 90s when I first saw it. It was one of those ones that I would often see it stood out in the rental store Mm -hmm. but yeah i i I remember walking by it but i just didn't pick it up and i think i ended up seeing it one night when i was babysitting but i don't think that they there's really a split but but i feel like my dad would was more likely to rent american werewolf in london yeah. So I think I saw the It has a different It's it's interesting that you I was going to bring that up. American Werewolf in London. They came out the same year. Brick Baker worked on some of the effects here at least. And you know, and he left so he could go work on American Werewolf in London. The Neither is a perfect movie, but do you feel that somehow American Werewolf in London is seen to be a more acceptable or the better movie? Generally, I would say that, yeah, more people see that as the higher caliber movie. I feel like it if if it didn't have a bigger budget, it looks like it's got a lot bigger budget. Yeah. Uh, I, what, you know, and, and it's Joe Dante versus John Landis, right? Not against right. each other, but in comparison. And Landis was the more, not socially acceptable, but, you know, more mainstream known guy. And uh, I feel like the special effects were better. The transformation was I want to say better and not cooler on American Werewolf in London. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think maybe you're right. It is a budgetary thing. But I feel that there's something grimier and just grittier about The Howling. Yeah, it was was Joe Dante indie film. yeah, there's sexuality in American Werewolf in London, but like the howling is definitely more like nudity and sex. Yeah, and they even cut out a big uh, nude scene because Dee Wallace had a thing that she usually had or still has, but 
at at that time she had a thing in her contract that she had to approve any on-screen nudity in the movie that wasn't in the original script. Yeah. Hmm. So, but Interesting. Yeah, there was uh, and she was uh she and that guy whose name I mean D Wallace's husband, but he's also an actor. Uh, um, Christopher Stone. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> he has a name. <laughs> yeah. Uh he's just less familiar to me than he, but they had been married for a year when they made this movie. Oh, I thought they were still engaged. Well, it said they got married in 1980. So maybe, oh, they, okay. um, I don't know, but it was kind of funny listening to them in the commentary parts when it got to the, the nude scenes and the, yeah. uh, the slap. Yeah. She was she was kind of still pissed. Yeah. But also she said it was because they, I mean, I think they shot the whole movie in 30 days, 31 days. They were yeah. all just kind of. It was something pretty short. Living in trailers. Everything was basically a location. And she got really into the part. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I, I think I've. I love, I mean, well, yeah, relatively an easy mark for movies that have reporters in them for some reason as mm -hmm. main characters. Yeah. But, you know, at, at the beginning of the movie, D. Wallace is a reporter for Channel 6 New York News. And then uh, they shot all that stuff at a tiny TV studio somewhere in New York, but I don't think it was New York City proper. Was it New York? I thought or, I was, or, was thinking or, it was California. California, sorry. I don't think it was I was in thinking it was LA. LA. Yeah, I think it was outside LA or somewhere in the valley that they found the, the studio. But I uh -huh. could be mistaken. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why when I think of uh, grimy 80s, I think of New York first. It's, it's probably more prevalent in media. Um, it yeah it is but this was i think it was supposed to be la where she was yes um, you are correct at least in the beginning and it's funny because i just recently for the scream queens podcast watched the john carpenter made for tv movie someone's watching me exclamation point <laughs> um that has that's starring Lorton Hutton. And um, it it takes place in, I don't know, I think it's, I think it's 1981 maybe when it came out. No, sorry, 78 when it came out because it came out right before Halloween. Um, but it takes place in L.A. too. And Patrick and I were talking about it and he's like, yeah, remember all these movies of that era? And the TV movies and horror movies and everything, they just made you think that everybody was constantly watching you and you were constantly going to be getting obscene phone calls. <laughs> like, <laughs> you were constantly going to have a stalker. Like, <laughs> there's so many movies of that era of, like, the late 70s and into the early 80s where it was something like that. Perverts everywhere. And yeah, uh, Perverts Wallace, everywhere. 
Wallace's character, Karen, is walking down that alley to meet Eddie Quist. The, what do they call him? Something mangler. The face? Huh? Or, he, well, I don't know. No, he's the happy face guy, but the he's... The uh, guy, Manhattan mangler or something like that? Them, yeah, but it's something... But he always has that. But she notices the happy faces with him. Yeah, that's as on a the, It's on the payphone that he calls her on. Which, where Roger which Corman's waiting I, outside. I can I just say I love that Roger Corman is waiting outside of the phone booth. It's such an homage to Rosemary's Baby, where there's the scene and William Castle is waiting outside the phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, nice one. <laughs> you got to have the schlocky producer there, you know? <laughs> of course. And, you know, Dante's working with all these people that he's worked with a bunch of times. Or right, right. Maybe more so after had, this movie. Well, they had previously done Piranha together. Mm. I kind of love that movie. I think I've already said that on the show. <laughs> it should always be said. It should always be said. But anyway, I'm sorry. I interrupted. Uh, uh, Go ahead. Well, speaking of perverts everywhere, she's after she does that phone call and then the, they lose her because it's you know late 70s, early 80s technology. Um, that guy right. stops her in the alley and is like, how much? Like, what? Excuse me? How much for a half and half? I forget what she says, but. They recognizes her from the news, and then she goes into the very real sex shop. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Where I, she was, she's noticeably uncomfortable, which was not her acting. <laughs> yeah, it's just playing through. And I guess that fits, I, you probably know this, but, or if you don't, you would want to know this, but most of the clothes she wears in the movie were hers. She commented yeah. on like four or five different outfits, including one of the nightgowns. She's like, oh, that's mine. Yeah, no, it's not a a big budget kind of type kind of thing. You can and you can clearly tell the way that certain like clothing items are reused throughout the movie, like in real life. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's not someone who has a wardrobe of a fifty million garments. Never the same clothes twice. Yeah, it's not that kind of movie. And there, it's an era where there are lots of brown and beige and tan. and <laughs> So you've got all those shades in there. <laughs> A lot of brown. Yeah, and tan. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the other color. And uh, are we going to go beat by beat through this or just do our random nuttiness? Well, we can do whatever. It's up to you. Well, she goes, I guess we, we get to the, I think the first appearance of Eddie is Robert Picardo's lips on the phone in a previous scene, right? Otherwise, this is the first appearance. Right. So I thought he did that creepy phone lick lipping thing when uh, he's asking her if she's been followed and other things like that. But then, yeah, she goes into the sex booth 
the movie booth at the sex shop. Right. He, he puts in, I don't know what it a, would have been a, a dime back then. Maybe. Who knows? However much. He yeah. puts in a coin and the movie starts playing and he's behind her being all creepy. I, I Yeah, I, I kind of feel like in a lot of ways, the werewolf transformation in this movie is kind of like foreplay for a lot of people. Yes. You know, there's this and he's getting himself riled up and, you know, later with the the leather leather clad wolf woman right yes but uh, marcia marcia uh eddie's sister right yes but so eddie is getting really excited but the <laughs> nypd comes running in and it's just like blam 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 or the LAPD. Or, yeah, god damn it. LAPD. <laughs> uh, and do you buy that the officer would get in trouble? Like he was getting in trouble with his boss? Um, At this time, at least. Well, something tells me probably not that. Well, he might, but not that much you know especially with them i mean i feel like they were already saying that he was the serial killer you know so he's getting chewed out for shooting a serial killer (laughs) i don't i that's that's but they're still pointing out you can't just shoot an unarmed person like that that's true but i feel like that would be more of a statement from joe dante than than realism LA, could, LAPD. Could, it could be a valid point. However, um, I don't know. Maybe he, you know, maybe yeah. maybe the um, doctor, Doctor Wagner, had some pull in the community because he has been on TV. So maybe. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, that was one thing that just kind of popped into my head that I don't think I wondered about. No, I agree. I I think it is a little bit like, wait, I'm surprised they were giving him a hard time about that because I, I know I did. I think I did the same thing when I was watching it last night. Like, but wait, I thought they already knew that he was, you know the serial killer or, you know, whatever. Yeah, maybe maybe it's the LA County district attorney that wants to run for governor is chewing them out on on the phone. You know, I was going to have a big show trial. The, you know, Eddie Quist, the Manhattan Mangler. It's an election year. I need the press. And you go and kill him. Now what am I going to do? True. Yeah. No, that makes, that would make sense. Yeah, that's, that's probably what happened, but like Maybe. any, anybody that goes through a traumatic experience, like getting fondled by a werewolf in a porn store. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Karen. Who shot 
supposedly did in yeah, front of her eyes in, in front of you yeah you might develop some amnesia but she's having some dreams and some ptsd uh she goes to see dr wagner or what yeah yeah or wagner i think it's wagner it's wagner and you know he's He's a doctor and he's British, so you've got to listen to him and go to his special <laughs> special colony. Uh, which this was the eighties. This was I feel like when I first just I hadn't seen the movie, but when I first started thinking about doing it on a podcast, I wondered. I was like, could could this be a psychosemantic thing? Because in my head, it was a big take on the whole 1980s health and fitness uh finding yourself sort of new ageness that seemed to be coming out but i don't think it really was i mean it's there just like it was in the time but it's not an obvious statement about it no it's not it's just as but it's just as applicable today yeah crystals go barbecue on the beach with uh the thought of people that you've seen in joe dante movies i feel like right Uh, i can't you know slim pickens is there sheriff slim pickens or whatever he is for that area he's got a badge yeah he i feel like he's the sheriff um yeah as we said robert robert picardo I first knew him from Inner Space as the cowboy. I first knew him from China Beach. He was a doctor on there. Oh. <laughs> Such a weird thing that I know him from that rather than... I mean, I saw Inner Space too, but, you know, speaking of Joe Dante movies, but um, that's not the first thing I think of for him. I don't know. But who else is there? Yeah, there just there's a John Carradine. Yep. Uh, back in the news studio is Kevin McCarthy. Yes, exactly. Um, what's Kenneth? Kenneth? Uh, Kenneth Toby was the older cop, the one that called his. Ask Trigger Finger over here. He's in a decent amount of Dante stuff, I thought. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, lots, lots, and lots of people. the The guy that played the the old man that didn't want to deal with life anymore. Uh, he'd been in a bunch of movies, apparently. I guess he's old school actor. Like he was, you know, that age. And yeah, that his... was Joe. That was John Carradine. Right? Oh, um, yeah? Wait. Yeah, that's what I thought so. Let's... Am I wrong? Because <laughs> um, I thought he was around that age at that time. Yes, 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 yes. Um, but yeah, he was so hardcore that uh, his, his trailer... The electricity and the heat was broken in his trailer. And so he was like just covering himself with extra blankets and he didn't think to tell anybody. And 
He was going out and getting his own food and stuff. And, you know, Joe Dante and them were like, let's just, let us take care of you. You're, you're awesome. He's like, no, I, you know, I can get my own chips ahoy. I, th- I think was a quote. Because um, he was, <laughs> God, uh, he was a, with like, uh, what's, what's his name? Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille, right? Yeah. Shakespeare and horror movies, westerns. Um, oh, yeah. He had been around forever. He had been around forever. But, yeah. So, I'm shitty with names. If this is the first episode you've listened to, it's going to be a long-running thing. <laughs> Don't take a drink every time Vanessa corrects me, because she might not make it. I, I... I... I I don't correct you all the time. I sometimes I hope for the best. That's all it comes out to. <laughs> so are we uh referring to D Wallace as D Wallace or as Karen? I think I don't know. We've we've kind of said both. Um I always enjoy seeing D Wallace in movies. I'm just going to say that right up right off the bat. I mean you know, and this is probably one of my favorite roles of hers. Yeah. 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 I mean, I like. Well, I guess it's just a cameo in House of the Devil, a movie near and dear to this show. Yeah, which I actually just rewatched not that long ago. Yeah. When? How long ago did you watch? I watched it uh, this summer. No, probably like a week, week and a half ago. Okay. It was it was one of the movies on the uh, podcast under the stairs summer series, so uh, I took the opportunity to revisit it and try to fight for it. Thought nice. more people liked it. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> eh. It depends on the competition, I guess, for some people. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, she's. I feel like she was more in the background in E.T. And, right. Yeah, I mean, I enjoy her a lot more. And I, I think it's part, possibly because I like her so much. You know, seeing her in The Hills Have Eyes or Cujo. Right. She's not, I mean, she's not having a great time in this, but, you, right. you know, like she's in constant distress in some other movies and it's, I, I don't like it. it. That's true. I mean, at least, I mean, compare this to Cujo where in Cujo she is in distress at a constant, you know, a le- level 11 um, here, it at least is varied. Yeah. <laughs> she gets breaks. Uh, she gets And how much distress she's... Yeah. Yeah. She so, I guess it is you do get to see more of her acting in certain ways. You just, I mean, I, I guess a, a different range, I should say. Yeah, Dee Wallace is great. Uh, I, I feel like 
in my head, I had Christopher Stone replaced with Tom Atkins in, in my memory before I revisited oh, the movie. Oh my goodness. I knew that's who it was, but this time I was really looking at him like, just should be Tom Atkins. It just, it's so, I mean, looks so much like him. Uh, you know, just but... <laughs> looks so much like him. And I feel like, no, that would make me happier. Not that Christopher Stone's bad, but just I like Tommy Atkins a lot. <laughs> yeah, that 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 version of the movie would be pretty cool, especially uh, he's around that same age range. Well, they they look like twins practically, as, at least at this time period. Mm -hmm. Their hair, mustache, hair, mustache, <laughs> the mustache, but the haircut. And the, and the shade of the hair, too. That's what it is. It's not just the hairstyle. It's that their shade of their hair is very similar. And their bone structure and everything. Yeah. He could be the stunt double. They could be, like, the, um, you know, those, the, the twins that act in the, the Frank, uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth and his brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they look almost the same, but if mm -hmm. you stood them next to each other, it would be obvious. Right, right. Uh, but so it's it's a weird. It, it kind of remind. I mean, that barbecue was, reminded me of parties my parents had when I was little. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's everybody's there's just different clusters of people, and there's food, and people are drinking, and yeah, you know, uh, it was you know, not on the beach. So, you know, there'd be lawn darts or something. And <laughs> the, 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 uh, yeah. Just former, like people who were younger in the seventies and sixties partying as yeah. adults sort of thing. Right. And you know what, uh, Bill, that's the first time Bill said, uh, mentions that he's a vegetarian or he tries to avoid eating meat. Right. Right. And the, the guy cooking just kind of shrugs it off. Give, gives him a look. Yeah. And then what did you say her name was? Marsha? Marsha. <laughs> Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. She's handing out. Think drinks. of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Gives it a whole new spin. <laughs> and she's just being. I don't. I mean, I don't. I feel like it's by this point, most people have it figured out. Yeah. But you know, she's just being kind of animalistic or sultry and you know uh hedonistic maybe is the thing you know it's like well, I'm, I'm looking for my wife why and right stuff like that it's like okay there's the obviously that should looking be people the, hmm? that should just have been the point where they were like okay something is weird and not right here can we go <laughs> like, yeah because creepy dude was already leering at her by the water or is this about that's about ready to happen 
because I feel that's like that's about she, ready to happen. Because that's after she talks to Bill, and then she goes over and she's like, or you know, nineteen eighties werewolf version of that. And when D. Wallace calls her a bitch. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Karen. Karen. Um, Karen yeah. White. That's her name. And what most of the characters' names are have relation to people who directed movies about werewolves, I believe. Yeah. But yes. um But they're starting to show the the differences, you know, uh, the the werewolf archetypes are starting to come out. You know, there's the new age let's look at things, let's try to understand, let's get in touch with our feelings. And there's the you know we are hunters. We are beasts. We are, you know, we are the alpha of, of this area sort of thing. Right. Right. But what's, you know, interesting is that they can turn into werewolves when they want to. It's not dictated by the moon. Yeah. And Which I have seen in other movies. But not before this. Not before this. But not before this. So that's something, a very distinct kind of thing about this, you know, story. Yeah. And 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 I'm assuming it's the same in the book that this is based on. I would imagine so. And, but they did the play clips from the Wolfman periodically through this movie referencing the old sort of werewolf rules. And then we did talked about this a little bit, but I, I I don't know. Do you remember where all the different werewolf references are or, uh, yeah, there's, there's the one where there there's Ginsburg's howl, is in there. Then there's a book by Thomas Wolf. Um, then, uh, then you have all the different people's names. Um, two different cans of Wolf brand chili, which I guess was a right. Real thing. Right, you have like stuff like that in there. So. Yeah, so it's just kind of peppered throughout. Um, But it's, you know, I guess that's no cheesier than what John Landis did in American Werewolf in London, where, you know, he made reference, the way he made some of his references with Moon and, you know, music being used was all moon based. Yeah. Well, the credence. Blue you know, Blue Moon and Bad Moon Rising. Yeah, exactly. Moon Dance. I think there are a few other songs. But um So this is kind of a mystery movie even though the audience knows what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's it's laid out there and you know, it's 
it, I mean, yeah, I think if it had had a better budget, some of the effects could have been better. Um, and some of the but, better effects were they had shot the movie and had to ask for more money because, like, the werewolf suit looked kind of off. You know how there's several shots in the movie where it's the legs going yes. and stuff like that? And yeah. uh, you'll see a quick look at the full werewolf suit in the scene where uh, Terry is in Eddie's cabin. Like the first real reveal. Right. But the the longer you looked at it, the more uh, it, it looked a little bit less like a werewolf and more like a bear or something like that. So they got a couple thousand extra dollars for more prosthetics and stuff. Right, right. And, I mean, a lot of old... I love the old school special effects, you know, filling up condoms with air underneath some latex or, you know, uh, Eddie's sort of melty face. That's, there's a lot of jello or gelatin in that. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, it's... <laughs> It is low budget, but it is fun. Yeah, and, you know, it just cracks me up. Like, there's so many different places in this where, you know, they're like, okay, you're kind of like, once you're at the colony, you're like, okay, if you're from the city and you hear noises like that, why aren't you choosing to close the windows and stay indoors? Like, (laughs) Even if you think it really is just coyotes <laughs> or something like that, like that you're just being dumb. <laughs> well, there might be a bear out there. <laughs> also, I get creeped out in the woods more now. Well, I used to go camping a lot when I was a kid, but now it's like, well, I don't see a street light. What the fuck? Uh, but she's freaked out. And what does he, what does Bill say? Something like you grew up in LA you don't know what's out there. The wildest thing yeah. you've seen is Wolfman Jack. Jack, yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's the howling. Yeah. Who's? Uh, I mean, I imagine there's people that that haven't seen it, but it's just one of those those classic movies that you got to tick off. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like I said, it's it's a pretty good representation of some, you know, of your usual werewolf kind of mythology. But it kind of does a few of its own things too. And um you know, even though like we're like we're saying the you know, it's got a lower budget and it's could have probably, you know, could have used some more money and, you know, to go behind some of the effects. That said, they're still pretty good. (laughs) Oh yeah, totally. And uh, for some movies, it was not a flop in its time. I think they made it for less than $2 million and it made close to 18 million. Absolutely. And I mean, and you have enough, 
you have actors here that can carry off this story because it doesn't turn into something schlocky. It could turn into something schlocky. I think if you had actors who weren't as capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, before he started doing movies, well, Robert Picardo did Broadway, right? Yeah. So, and, and yeah, I mean, D. Wallace and um, all these mainstays. You have Dick, Dick Miller. Miller. <laughs> Hello, Dick Miller. I'm just Don't running forget. a shop here. I know, I know. And you have a young Mick Garris in here. Where? Near the end, where, you know, she does her transformation on TV. Spoiler alert. Turning into the Pomeranian. But he, right after that, it, like, does a, it, like, goes to, like, the viewing audience or whatever. Is he the key, one of the kids? Is he the kid? And he's a guy sitting. No, not a kid. He's like an adult sitting at home, watching the news, and he makes a comment on what he just saw. Okay, my second guess was going to be one of the guys at the bar. No. I, huh. That's but pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. I'd read that, and then I was like, I watched it this time, and I'm like, huh, sure enough, that is that is Mick Garris. I'm always happy to see Slim Pickens. Oh, me too. Me too. And, but, oop. <laughs> I love Dick Miller's occult shop, and, you know, of the, course. the reporters trying to crack the case. uh mm-hmm. Terry and um, what's his face? I can't remember the the guy the, the guy that say sort of helps save Velma the day. and Velma and Shaggy. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, f- fortunately, that guy had all those silver bullets made and never picked him up. Uh, we you know we've got the. The argument over what what direction werewolf culture should go. Uh, we've got the yeah. the werewolf that gets shot and does the thank you sort of thing. You freed me from this torture. And there's others that go down trying to kill. Um, sort of a tragic ending, and then the little wink ending after that part. Right. And. Hell yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think. I like how they they made use, speaking of lower budget, with what they had. That scene at the end where they're trying to escape and all the wolves attack the car. Yeah. They just had a, an ex, they had the werewolf suit. They had a pair of extra hands and an extra head. And they did all that with that. They made it seem like way more, way more werewolves. Way more than what they had. Huh? And, yeah. Gotta love it. Yeah. They didn't have CGI yes. fire, but they took fire from another movie. They bought the rights to use the fire from another movie. Uh, nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's the howling. 
Sounds like we would both recommend it. I would. You would? Okay. Oh, excuse me. Oh, another awesome werewolf-related movie, Haunted Honeymoon, which is where I am ripping off that W sound um, joke. Okay. You've seen that, haven't you? I have. It was a very long time ago, though. It's Gene Wilder. One of yes, and and um, Gilda, Gilda Radner. Radner. Yep. Dom DeLuise. That's all yes. I remember straight away. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, exactly. here we are. Okay. Well, on that note, I think that we shall take a break. And then we will come back to discuss Cycle of the Werewolf. Be back soon. Faye Ray. <coughs> Janet Lee. <coughs> Adrian King. <coughs> Heather Langenkamp. <coughs> Amy Steele. That weatherman who saw the cockroach. That, oh my god, that is Oh my god! Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> and you. Come on. You know you wanna. Let her rip. <laughs> that, oh, my god, that is <laughs> oh my god! There. Now don't you feel better. You are now officially a Scream Queen. Come play with the rest of us at www.screamqueens.com. That's Queens with a Z. Or you could subscribe to us on iTunes. Either way, it's going to be fucking fabulous. The Scream Queens Horror Podcast. It's where horror gets bent. And we are back with part two of our VD Clinic Werewolf Halloween special or whatever we're calling this um, with Cycle of the Werewolf by uh, American writer Stephen King. Uh, Some people have heard of him. Uh, This is what, from 1983. It's 127 pages. Yeah, most um, copies are about yeah, that. Most copies about that long. Uh, illustrations by Bernie Wrightson, which I didn't know until we decided to do this. Uh, now, had you had you read this before? No, I had always uh, wanted to read it, and okay. I was, you know, I haven't had a whole lot of time. I'm a little. Uh, election obsessive and dadding and stuff so uh not a lot of time to sit down and read so i knew that if i chose this to do it then i would do it (laughs) right and so yes this was i mean i had seen the movie that they adapted this from silver bullet but i also have not seen that in I don't know, five, ten years. Yeah, I haven't seen that in 
probably the same amount of time. And you maybe would, longer. And you had never read this either? Oh, no, I had read this. Oh, you had read this. Yes. The, I still, the copy I have is still my dad's from the 80s. Oh, nice. The one with the orange cover? No, oh. it's a black cover. It's a paperback black cover. Um, I think I got it at Dalton Books. It's got a price tag on it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've got it digitally. Um, I feel like if my mom was always more of the Stephen King fan, my dad uh, was, was like a... a if he was reading creepy spooky stuff, it was usually more like Edgar Allan Poe. Um, but I don't yeah, think my, my dad, mom had this book. My dad read more Poe and that kind of thing, but he still read some Stephen King. And this was one Stephen King thing he did read. Yeah. I mean, the, the illustrations are sweet, but this is a... Uh, we can't really, I don't really know how to describe them. Look them up. <laughs> but, um, so the, oh God, what is the name of the town where Marty Coleslaw lives that has a full moon every month? <laughs> it's, um, oh, what do you call it? It's, uh, see, now I'm even blanking. It's like Terry's. Falls or orchards. Tarker's Tarker's Mills. Tarker's Mills. Yeah, Tarker's. Okay. I wanted to say Terry's something or other. But <laughs> we're terrible. We're terrible for we... some reason. We couldn't remember that. Oh, you know, I mean, when you I've gotta... written other things in my notes, but not that. <laughs> when your main character is a a werewolf fighting paraplegic named Marty Coleslaw. That's 10 years old. That's 10 years old. <laughs> you kind of forget where he's from because he, his story is sort of out, outshining the name of the town. Uh, Precise. Um, <laughs> so, yes, there's, there's a full moon every month. And I don't, I don't know. I feel like for the longest time, Stephen King did read all of his letters and uh, the version I have, he has an afterword where he's like, I totally know that you can't have a full moon every month. No, he, <laughs> no, you, no, you can. You can? You can, and you, and you do. But in some months you have two, two moons, mm. two full moons. That's called a blue moon. But he points out that he took some liberties with the lunar calendar. Oh, for Valentine's day on the 4th of July and right. new Year's. Right. He okay. tried to position them all around like major holidays. And that no does not happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're looking at, for instance, Valentine's day, is mid-February, whereas Halloween is at the end of October. Yep. Like that's, a, that's two weeks difference, and that's not going to happen like that. 
So okay, that I I only read that afterward part once because yeah, I'm I'm uh yeah. <laughs> no, but he put he points out yeah that exactly that you know he just he did this to get too, the cycl- the cyclical sense of the moon and the lunar cycle, but he wanted to keep certain themes and seasons of of what like the town would be celebrating and what people would be celebrating kind of keep that as the thorough line as well, which I think is fine. Yeah. (laughs) It's a story about a werewolf. I I mean, Neil deGrasse Tyson might get shitty about it, but, um, well, Neil deGrasse Tyson isn't also into vampire. I mean, werewolf, um, type things, you know, so much either okay. so Maybe i think he he i think he recognizes this is a work of fiction um oh, there's also the reverend lester lowe who you know when you're reading it but before you know it you kind of know where that's going because all of a sudden you've got this other character that you're following well, you know he's going to be somehow integral to the, the story, uh, right? And a certain kind of villain, and, you I know, guess. You you get that feeling. And in horror, most most well, not all parts of horror genres, but you know, especially things with the older monsters, you know, the vampires, stuff like that. There's often some sort of religious figure in the movie as a hero or a villain, right? So, and it's Stephen King. I've, I feel like what he was raised Methodist, I think it was. Uh, relatively active in the church up through college. I, I'm, you know. Yeah. So there's usually some sort of, well, a lot of people die in Stephen King stories. So <laughs> I don't want to say there's usually a reverend or a priest or something doing a funeral, but he seems to play with Well, religion. he did... He did play one in, uh, you know, Pet Cemetery. Oh, that's one true. of his own things. That's just, <laughs> for yeah. instance, there. But yeah, I don't know. It 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 was hard. It's hard for me not to read this and imagine. Not so much Corey Corey Haim, who played Marty in Silver Bullet, the film adaptation. Mm-hmm. I can't help but think of Gary Busey, who played <laughs> his uncle. I was going to say the exact same thing. Every time he's on the screen, I see Gary Busey. Or, or the page. He just, on the page, I just am like, it's Gary Busey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. It's if, just if we were video chatting, is, I was going to write it down while you were talking and just hold, and, hold it up. And this is at least you know the good era of Gary Busey before the you know motorcycle accidents and <laughs> <laughs> while his head was still at least somewhat solid. <laughs> <laughs> So he could, you know, he was coherent. <laughs> Energetic and 
on track. And actually nuanced in his performances, yeah. <laughs> but still, he was, you know, he was still busy. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been there. But yeah, uh, Marty... I didn't, yeah, I didn't really picture him as Corey Ham all that much. And it was probably good, too, because nothing really against Corey Haim, but I I feel like when I do revisit the film, there are going to be a lot of scenes of him sitting there with that mm-hmm. sort of upward partial Elvis lip sneer thing he does when he sort of spaces out looking at things. Yeah. You know, I just, I just sort of picture that. And, you know, Marty Coleslaw in the story is, you know, pretty cool kid seeming, seems to be, you know? Uh, yeah. And the fact of, I think, I mean, Corey Haim was older when he played this role too. He wasn't 10 years old. Was he a tween? He was maybe 14. Okay. He was 13 or 14. Yeah, that, that brings it down a couple notches. But do you know what I mean? Like, that makes a big difference in this performance, in my opinion. Because having this character as a 10-year-old... Yeah, where nobody like, believes you. <laughs> That, I mean, even just those couple years difference, like, if you're in your 40s, a difference in three years, who cares? But at this age in, stage in your life, the difference between 10 and 13 is huge. Yeah. And not even that a 13-year-old would necessarily have that much power either. But they would certainly be given, be seen as more valid than a 10 year old. Yeah. I I think at at that point, it's not so much, Oh, you had a dream and you think it's real. Like you do with a 10 year old. It's do we need to get this kid into therapy? Right. Something like it was his, I, I'm going to have to look uh, in the movie is their last name Coleslaw in the movie? I don't know why I'm fixated on that, but I feel like I would recognize it. Or, I you know, don't remember. It seems like the type of thing they would change in a movie. Yeah. Just because, you know, somebody's like, you don't want to have people saying Coleslaw that many times. Yeah. It's not very popular. The people that like Coleslaw... They really like it, but the people that don't, they hate it. You know, just some guy in an office somewhere. I hate Coleslaw, by the way. Maybe that's why I'm fixated on it. I like the character. No, they are called Coleslaw. Hmm. Maybe just Nick Nolte overpowered that in my memory. You mean... uh, Gary uh, Busey. Gary Busey. Yeah. (laughs) You had me where I was like, I've got to check now because I'm, that's all I'm going to be able to think about. <laughs> <laughs> well, now now that that's behind us, uh, you know, it's it's very Stephen King. There's a small town. 
a lot of in this, Maine. <laughs> yeah, in Maine, there's you know racist Surprise. people near the woods, and uh, you know, I, I feel like there are references to music throughout. Or if I'm just making that up because I'm talking about Stephen King. He uh, always does that at some point or another. But he, this has a very, and not that you don't see it in some of his other things, but I feel like this has this definite um, lyrical sensibi- sensibility with the language that he uses. At places, yeah, uh, it's a step away. It's like it's got a different rhythm, and it's just a step away from poetry. Not like he's trying to structure a poem. You know what I mean? It's right. just there's just a certain um, cadence to it. Since this is one of if not the shortest Stephen King novel do you think that he writes all his other things sort of like that and then they turn into it which I feel like took me a year and a half to read when I was 13 um maybe I don't know or maybe just the brevity he got to do because he did he did um you, you read his autobiography right Yes. He talks in that about uh, he met his wife in a poetry class. Yeah. And he still references it. You know, I I actually I hadn't read him for a a while. You know, I was really into Stephen King when I was in eighth grade. Yeah. I read a bunch of stuff and then I just kind of didn't. And then he wrote the foreword to that. Ramon's tribute album that Rob Zombie put together with a bunch of bands doing covers, mm-hmm. you know, like Garbage right. and Pretenders and yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And he wrote the foreword to that. Yeah. And I read that and then it sort of got me back into him. You know, I, I don't read him as rabidly as I did then. But after right. that, it was like, oh, yeah, Stephen King. Always, always time for some Stephen King. Unfortunately, this one fit in the, in the, the theme Right. <laughs> when you're talking about poetry, for some reason, I just picture when he's describing the werewolf is like, it smells like panther shit. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's not, I'm not saying it's completely like, oh, a poet, you know, a poem. Yeah. I'm just saying that there's this lyrical sense of it and that you get a certain rhythm with it that you don't get with a lot of other prose. Yeah, I, I feel that. There is a different flow. And, and you you get that with certain other Stephen King things as well, but I think because this is shorter, it it, it allows him to keep it up throughout. Mm-hmm. So that it's a more constant kind of thing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Any anything else that stood out for you in your notes? Um well, you know, it's kind of like, 
of course, you know, when the fireworks are going to be canceled, it's your uncle who gives you the, you know, gives you the ones to so that you can sneak off and <laughs> do whatever. It, it's just funny because it's like, oh, yeah, we all had a relative, like, aunt or uncle or something who would, like... <laughs> different things so that we could sneak and get away with different you know whatever yeah uh, it's just like my dad was the one that was always giving me fireworks when i was a kid well i mean <laughs> you know sometimes it was a parent and the other parent what you know oh you can't tell or whatever my aunt's it's just kind of <laughs> go ahead it's just kind of funny you know my aunts and uncles were for watching movies that i couldn't watch at home that was that yeah. was what they facilitated. Because mm -hmm. I could I could read anything that we had in the house, but I was not supposed to watch that many R-rated movies. And then there was times like when my mom decided to take us all uh, to go see Bram Stoker's Dracula when it came out. And, you know, <laughs> like I, I don't remember how old I was, but I remember my little sister, I think she was younger than 10. Yeah, <laughs> it's just just really weird stuff, R random weird rules. But um, yeah, yeah, I well, I can't really tell. I well, you you do enjoy this. You're not mad at me for picking it. No, I'm not. No, I hadn't read this though in a while. I will say that this is probably the third time I've read it. Maybe fourth. Do you think that's probably it, or do you see yourself revisiting it sometime down the line? Um, I'll probably revisit it at some other point. It's because it's a quick, easy read. You know, um, and I do that particularly with certain, certain uh, genres where it's just like, no, you know, particularly... Uh, a horror or kind of suspense type story. Those kind of things I tend to reread. Just, okay, if it's on the shorter side, I'll pick it back up again. Rather than something that's, oh, you know, a 700 page book. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm I'll. Le <laughs> I'm less likely to pick those up. Not to say it doesn't happen, but it just doesn't happen as much. Yeah, I'll throw it on the audiobook, but I don't know if I'll sit down and read it again. That was a little oh, long for me. Oh, same with me. I've read it now. I, I mean, I mean, without the, without it, an audiobook, I've without sorry. an audiobook, I've read it probably. Four or five times now. Like it the clown it, not yes. Oh wow, I I thought you were saying that you read Cycle of the Werewolf. That may have no. Um, I think this is my third or fourth time reading Cycle of a Werewolf. So you kind of spread evenly on Stephen King. Read them both about the same amount of times. Yeah. Some cool. I mean, I like the descriptions of the kills in this. That's right. Fun. Um, you know, and we don't really find out exactly 
why you know how the the uh reverend or whatever became a werewolf yeah I don't, I don't think he knows it's never completely clear we, we just kind of have we kind of figure out though he hasn't always been a werewolf and he doesn't mind so much being a werewolf once he figures it out yeah and i think the before that he just didn't like not knowing what happened and then when he's realized what he's right. done he's like oh okay that's right. a load off my mind <laughs> yeah and uh i mean yeah all the people that become werewolves in the howling we know how they become werewolves but we don't know how the other werewolves were werewolves they just existed yeah uh, and yeah and this got turned into silver bullet and there were silver bullets in the howling there's the moon there's a full moon this month um right there are two this month two halloween being one of them well i think that's why we picked werewolf stuff and that's the blue moon bob da bob dang 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 yeah, exactly. I don't know what don't weird do. noise is in my hallway right now. Oh, well. And Zora's getting comfy. Oh, of course. You can tell. Drag race in your hallway. That's pretty much it. I think that means it's probably time for us to get close to wrapping up would you say i mean i think yeah. we we're coming to that place anyway but um so, so would you recommend cycle of the werewolf i would and i feel like you could probably read it and watch the movie in a weekend yeah yeah when i had to you know to reread this i did it and just i split it up in two nights yeah, just I could have done it all in one day, like easily. But I, you know, decided, you know, I'll just split it into two days and or, you know, two evenings. It was easy. So Yeah. Top notch werewolf stuff. Um, but yeah, I think this was a good selection. And yes, here we are at the end of another episode. Yes. Force me out of my vampire comfort zone too. <laughs> You'll, we'll do we'll do vampires next October. <laughs> oh, that's okay. We don't always have to. We can uh, figure out. Who knows? There might be something else entirely different. Yeah. Winter often sucks. We can exactly. do that again. Exactly. That's true. But um, so, do you have anything else going on outside of a VD clinic? Let's see, I just put out a psychosemantic episode doing Wag the Dog, the Barry Levinson, uh, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, yes. Ed Haish, uh what, Co co-written by David Mamet movie. Right. Um, no idea. I'm kind of nervous to book anything else on that before the election. 
<laughs> you know, I, I'm like, all you're afraid I, the world might go to hell in a handbasket. Maybe is that it? Could don't want to tempt whatever angry gods are still about. Uh, so I've just been reading and listening to documentaries and stuff on the 2000 election for some fucking reason. Um, ah. uh, the yeah, that sort of stuff. Maybe maybe we should do recount. Maybe. Uh, but uh, other than that, no, just trying to avoid people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, figuring out what the fuck to do for trick or treat. Huh. How about you? Well, I was just on an episode of Scream Queens covering the John Carpenter made-for-TV movie, uh, Someone's Watching Me, starring Lauren Hutton with Adrian Barbeau as a lesbian, and um, and then, uh, what's his name, David Burney. And yeah, that was pretty fun. And then, like I said, another one of those movies where it's <laughs> some kind of crazy stalker in L.A. But, um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Surprisingly good for a made-for-TV movie. But, you know, it is John Carpenter, so. Yeah, he could, he could stretch a dime or whatever this... But talk about you know a you know a film and decor and like the entire set and costumes everything is just tan beige off white <laughs> like every shade of like that it's just all that Peach. it's not even <laughs> it's no it's not even brown like you get in you know the howling. Like the darker brown, there's a lot of tan in the howling too. But you at least get dark brown. No, someone's watching me. It's all these light kind of thing, light colors or not even colors, but where you're just kind of like, how uh, how are we distinguishing? There's anything on the screen that's different from <laughs> something else. It's kind of funny, but anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we have a whole conversation about that. <laughs> oh, cool. Needless to say. So look, um, look for that. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And so next month is when we are going to be doing our episode on the boys. We had uh, had to, uh, had a little delay in our September episode, uh, kind of due to... Uh, Due to life, unfortunately, for for all of us here, VD Clinic. Um, but yeah, the the boys from um, Amazon. So yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm. Uh, I am way f uh, way behind, and I think I said by the time we did the the episode, I was gonna have read. Um, all of the comic, <laughs> I'm behind in that. I'm, I'm not. Beh yeah. Anyway, it won't matter because you're not gonna read any of it. Well, we have time now. <laughs> we do. 
We do. That yeah. So, but we were gonna do the first three episodes. Is that what we yeah. had decided? Yes, that's what we decided. Okay. And yes. Yeah, I've got a couple episodes to watch, and I'll be done with season two. Ah, I was wondering how far you were. Yeah, the season two ended a week or so ago, but I'm really trying to not watch ahead of Amanda now. I saw the whole first season before she ever did, and then she got into it. So, I don't know. Police are telling us to wrap it up. Um, So, yeah, (laughs) the next episode will be that. We are VD Clinic Pod. And your social media places, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook for now. Who knows what's going on with that place? It's weird. Yep. Uh, at gmail.com if you want to write us. And who us. knows how, how we'll survive the election. Yeah. It's going to be weird. Maybe there might be a lot more banned books next time we get together. <sighs> I certainly hope not. Hopefully a bunch of tell-alls from former administration people. (laughs) They're, they're written. They're just waiting, waiting until that's the move. Yes, exactly. Uh, Exactly. But if, if you hear this before November 3rd in America, vote. Please go vote. Yes. The more definitely. people to vote, the more representative our democracy or our republic looks. Well, thank you for clarifying. Yes. But anyway, uh, yeah. Otherwise, see you on the other side. Exactly. And everybody, enjoy your Halloween regardless of what you do this year. Yeah. Okay. S- stay safe. Yes. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the VD Clinic. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us at Twitter at VD Clinic Pod or reach us via email at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook group, VD Clinic Podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback suggestions, and more.